I, I just remember thinking all the time that that I had to find a way to get ahead and it was through stepping on other people, right? Um, there wasn't enough success to go around. I had to take what was mine. And somewhere along the way, I sort of realized that that that's like poison. Like, like competition is great if, if it's motivating, but it becomes toxic so quickly. It is November 2nd, 2020, and you are listening to episode 19 of the Candid Clarinetist podcast. What's going on, everybody? Sam Rothstein here, acting principal clarinet with the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra and host of the Candid Clarinetist podcast. Thanks so much for listening to last week's episode with the incredible Steve Williamson, principal clarinet of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I learned a ton from talking to him, so make sure to download the episode or watch it on YouTube if you haven't had the chance to do that yet. One thing I wanted to mention before we get started is that as of this recording, we have about 325 followers on our Instagram account. I would really, really like to get to that 500 follower mark before the end of the year. If we reach that goal, I'll have another very special giveaway. Uh, if you remember with the 200 follower giveaway, I gave away a lesson to a wonderful student, Alberto Martinez from Texas A&M Kingsville, I think that's right. Um, and uh, he was fantastic. Really, really nice to work with him. So we hit that 500 followers mark. I'm, I'm planning another giveaway. So uh Definitely, uh, you know, how can you help me get there? Please like, comment, and share posts about the Candid Clarinetist they have put up on Instagram. If your friends or family don't yet know about the Candid Clarinetist podcast, tell them how much you've been enjoying listening and, of course, how great the host is. You know, I'm, I'm just kidding. Well, you know, kind of. But in all seriousness, it really helps us get uh, the word out. If you like, comment, and share Candid Clarinetist posts on Instagram, I need help spreading the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. While you are at it, if you haven't yet subscribed, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. You can find links to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and all of our content platforms on our website, candidclarinetispodcast.com. Dr. Andy Hudson is our guest for today's episode. Dr. Hudson is the assistant professor of clarinet at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro, and a former studio colleague of mine at Northwestern. I have long admired his uncanny ability to maintain positive relationships with his colleagues, friends, and acquaintances. I know that it seems like a relatively simple and straightforward topic, but I find with the country and world seeming so divided recently, it is so incredibly important to have more people like Dr. Hudson who prioritize doing the right thing and being a good person. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, Andy. Sam, it's so good to be here, man. Congrats on the podcast. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm really happy to have you. So I'm going to start this episode out a little differently than I usually do. And that's with a bit of a story. And uh, it involves you and me together. I don't know if you, you probably don't remember this, but uh, it was my senior year at Northwestern. And I believe that would be your second year master's or second year in your master's. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. And we were going to a Chicago Symphony concert and it was myself and yourself. And I believe Steve Gooden was in the car. Uh, wonderful colleague of ours um and somebody else was in the car and we were driving and we were just you know talking chatting about people and clarinet and life and i remember as we were sort of pulling up to our parking space uh i was talking about like uh, other people and uh we were I, I can't remember exactly what what happened in the conversation but i remember saying something along the lines of well i think i just talk behind people's back too much and I remember you turned to me and you said, maybe you should stop doing that. And that really, really resonated with me. I know you're laughing right now, but I, I, I will always remember you saying that to me because, you know, I have certainly made mistakes in my life in terms of not being nice to people, um, uh, both with clarinet and outside of clarinet. And uh, that conversation and that car ride really made me sort of reevaluate how I was, you know, building my relationships and thinking about other people. Uh, particularly people in my industry, uh, in the music world, and the clarinet world. And um, so I wanted to thank you for that, because that that particular moment, uh, still to this, to this day, I, I remember that. And uh, I always remember back to that, because it was because of you that I sort of turned out around my mindset in terms of how I'm going to approach other people. I'm going to choose to support and lift up people rather than, you know, attack and bring down. And, and that was a really special and transformative moment in my life. And... Uh, so thank you for that. And with that being said, um, I just want you to briefly sort of introduce yourself. And, you know, I, I think you're 
one of those people who I just I have never heard anyone say a bad word about you. And that really speaks to your character and everything. So can you just tell me how you've managed to sort of maintain these incredibly positive relationships with people that you've met and your friends and your colleagues? I just, you know, what's your what's your magic? Well, that's so kind. And I do remember that trip to the symphony. And yeah, I, I'm still so grateful to this day for, you know, our cohorts there. We had such a, yeah, just a special group of people. And um, especially on that visit, I mean, to have you and Steve Gooden in the car at the same time feels like a, yeah, just an embarrassment of riches when it comes to human beings. Um, you know, I, I think for me, a lot of it, um, a lot of my, my early career, I spent, um, wanting to be better than everyone that I knew. And when I inevitably found someone better than me, they became the enemy. It was like, this person is in my way. And in order to get where I think I have to be, I have to, to, to win, I have to beat them, but I also have to, um, like I have to not only beat them, but like they, they can't succeed in anything else. Like I have to be the only person succeeding. Success is for me and is for no one else. Um, and that, that just is a really exhausting way to live. Um, yeah. I, I just found myself all the time just exhausted from constantly like fighting these mental battles in my mind against people who probably weren't even thinking about me. Um, I found myself constantly just comparing. It was never fast enough, slow enough. It was never fluid enough. It was never pretty enough. It was never harsh enough. You know, it was never, the pieces weren't difficult enough. Um, uh, you know, and I, I just remember thinking all the time that, that I had to find a way to get ahead and it was through stepping on other people. Right. Um, there wasn't enough success to go around. I had to take what was mine. And somewhere along the way, I sort of realized that, that that's like poison, like, like competition is great if, if it's motivating, but it becomes toxic so quickly. And and I, what I what I love about my career now is is that I'm able I, I finally have found on my best days the the ability to like celebrate people who succeed and even when they succeed at my expense you know even when they win an audition that I also took or they get a job that I also applied for um, it's been interesting now to be in, in college teaching and um, to watch my students engage with each other we have a very um, interesting studio it's very competitive in the right ways they're very good players and they. They do such a good job of sort of competing, um, but but then they only compete sort of like on the audition stage. After that, it's really about celebration, and they they can put together a fierce audition, and then all of a sudden the person who wins is celebrated, and everyone else gets back to work. And and I think for me, what I realized is that is that like the process is the result, you know, mm -hmm. like like the journey is the destination, and that I was taking so much success, so much pleasure in the success. If I would win that when I wouldn't win, I didn't have any fun and I wanted to take my ball and go home and I wanted to quit the instruments. And I, I didn't know how I could ever persist in this industry if everyone else was so much better than me. And I just didn't really have a lot of fun playing, um, for a long time. And I'm so grateful for the colleagues I've encountered people like you or like Steven or many others come to mind who, who sort of showed me like, no, actually like there's room, there's, there's room for all of us to succeed. And now that I'm sort of teaching college and I, I know how many jobs I applied for and that I only had a certain number of interviews. And I know people who got jobs I didn't even get interviewed for. And we've all become friends with each other and we all help out each other and, and teach at each other's schools. And, I, and now I'm finding it so encouraging to look around and say, well, look at all these people who are better than me. I, I wonder what I can learn from them. You know, and, and the process now is just about discovery. My, my te your teacher, our teacher, Laurie Bloom, and I had this wonderful conversation one time. And I said to him recently, I said, Laurie, uh, what should I look for in a student who's going to, who's going to really succeed at what they're going for? And Laurie said, you have to find the students who are most curious and the students who stay curious are the students who succeed. And I, th I think like, in tandem with curiosity comes the knowledge that like, I don't, I don't know everything, not even close. Like there are plenty of things I haven't explored there's plenty of pieces I haven't mastered. There's excerpts I haven't played on stage. There's orchestras I want to play with I haven't played with. There's colleagues I want to collaborate with I haven't I haven't collaborated with. And so, so for me, it's like that sort of like realizing that like everyone else's success is an invitation for me to explore what they've done. It's it's not a hurdle I have to clear on my way to like mastery because at the end of the day, like I, I don't I don't need to be the best. I, I I'm happy to just play the clarinet as well as I can and to, to mentor my students as well as I can and to learn all the time. 
that doesn't really answer your question, but I, that's what comes to mind. That 100% answered my question, and I really like what you said that uh, early on you thought that there wasn't enough success to go around, and I think that that is a huge, huge mental hurdle for everyone to overcome. And even just you saying it right now, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what I w went through too because it was like, okay, these people are in my way. There's only room for one, right? Only one person can eat, and that's just not true at all. Um, Really you know, and, and, and I think when I started to realize that was actually as I sort of started to climb the success ladder is I was finding more and more people like me that were just normal people that didn't have right. that, like that same attitude. It's really kind of an odd certain, cause you'd think that, you know, you get higher and higher up the competitive ladder and, uh, then that's where like, you know, it's really like cutthroat. And it's just not true at all. Like, uh, that's you not know. my experience at all. Yeah. yeah, my experience is that like the high, the the best musicians I know, I mean, I I could name any number of amazing teachers, players, improvisers, repair people, you know, like mm -hmm. conductors. Like I, the the best people I know are without fail like the most humble, the best to work with, the most interested in giving others opportunities, the most interested in leveraging their position to help other people like achieve a similar position. And, and my thing with, with teaching, what I love about university teaching, the reason I wanted to teach university is I just love the opportunity to like give to my students and not like hold back. Like, like I'm, I'm not like withholding my best secrets for myself. It's like, here's everything I have to give you. And I hope that you will be the most successful professor or player or improviser or composer, or whatever you want to be. Like, I hope you will just fly. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to keep it for me. It's like, like love is only love. I mean, you know, music, I guess too. But like when I think about this in terms of love, like, like love is best when it's shared, right? It's fully grown when we give it away to someone else. And that's what we were just talking about before the, the call started, like music, like performing live. What I miss about that is not me being on stage. What I miss about that is all the people being together. Mm -hmm. And my, my friend Megan Enan, this tremendous vocalist, she always says that performing music is like building a treehouse and inviting people to come play in it with you. Yeah. And I think that's what I miss is just like, let's all play in the treehouse. Yeah. The treehouse isn't fun when you're the only one in it. it it's not. And like, but like, you know, I think, oh, I, mean, I, it's I got okay. to the top. It's just, no, but it's not nearly it's, as yeah. fun. You it's not, it's not the same. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's like there's so much. Well, because I think what you learn is that when, when you share these things with other people that like, like you'll learn things you couldn't have learned on your own. I mean, one of my favorite parts of my life that I've enjoyed most is the chance to share the people I admire with my students. Mm -hmm. So like you, you came to UNCG last year mm -hmm. and did a tremendous few days of teaching and, and playing and just blew us away. And our students were just, our, you know, they're subscribers to the podcast. They're following on Instagram for I'll sure. If you're not yeah. following. Um, <laughs> You know, but, but like, but bringing you in and telling them ahead of time, like I'm bringing people in who I want you to, to learn from, to be like, like th these are examples of the kinds of people you should, you should pursue, you know, mm -hmm. and, and not that you have, they have to be you or be me, but, but like, here's an example of a really special human being who has succeeded and has also kept their soul, you know, who's also kept yeah. their humanity. Like, I don't think we become better musicians by being less human. Like that's not the answer. Yeah. Well, wow, that's great. Uh, I love I love that. I love everything you said there, especially the part about how me being so amazing. That was the best part of the vote. Yeah, that, that's my favorite part, too. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, so along the lines of just like maintaining positive relationships with people, I, I think that, uh, you know, in this industry, you really only have one reputation. And uh, if you burn that bridge, it's really hard to rebuild it. So can you talk about the importance of maintaining that good reputation and how it's sort of you know, benefited you and maybe how you've seen it, it sort of be a detriment to other people. Can you, can you talk up, can you maybe speak on that? Yeah. I mean, this, this is something that's really hard to learn until you screw up at it. And I, I have plenty of times like regretted the way I spoke to somebody, something I said, mm -hmm. um, either to someone or about someone, um, or even, even just the way I've been thinking, you know, I've regretted my, my, um, like where, where my head's at, where my heart's at in, in a rehearsal or in a performance or in a, in a you know, um, in any kind of um, high stress moment. Like, like as, 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 as we sort of encounter ourselves under duress, as we encounter stress, I, I sort of think people are like teacups and like we're full of something. And then when we get bumped, like it, it comes out. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for me, it's like I, early on, I sort of realized like I'm getting bumped only a little bit and like bad stuff is spilling out. Like, 
like I'm finding myself angry. I'm finding myself bitter. I'm finding myself jealous. Um, I remember like getting second in a competition and just being so devastated. I like cried at this Chili's. <laughs> I remember so vividly like eating this, this skillet queso and just crying. Cause I like couldn't take it that somebody beat me. And now I'm like, that person beat me. I like really admire now. It's so funny right. to like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love this person. But, but I think what I realized is that you start to think like, not only like, how should I act, but like, who are the kind of people I want to work with? You know, mm-hmm. like I, I only have so many years in my life and they're going faster and faster and the hair is getting grayer and grayer. And, and I'm just noticing that the people I want to work with are the ones who've like earned it. Not, not really by their ability even, right. It's by their humanity. Yeah. And I think that it's easy for us to think about like we're talking about networking or something, right? Like how do you build your network? And my students always ask this question cause they're, they're just starting out in their careers and yes, networking is about how can other people help you, but, but really the secret to networking is what can you give other people? Yep. Like the way that you network is like, how can I improve your life? And then, and then the good human beings do that and they mean it. Like they don't just want to give something to you so they can get something back. They just want to give you something because like you're a person and that makes you beautiful and you're worthy of like a gift. Right. Yeah. And it, and feels, so think, it feels good to give, give something to somebody. It, it yeah. does. And, and man, it's, it's so, I, I just, you know, I, I think about this a lot cause like people will come audition at UNCG and they'll go somewhere else or we'll have a prospective student and it's like not a good fit, but they come in for a lesson or something. And I love watching those people succeed when they go somewhere else, you mm-hmm. know? And I keep up with students who audition and maybe, maybe, maybe they don't come or we don't accept them, but we had a good interaction. And I, I don't feel like I've like, nothing is wasted in that interaction. You know, like if, if we have a lesson and we work really hard together for an hour and I don't hold anything back and they decide not to come like, okay, great. You know, like, I hope you're really successful somewhere yeah. else. And, right. and if, and if they don't get in it's like, all right to them, it's like, it, it, it just didn't work out. But like, you're going to be really successful at this other grade school with this other great teacher. Like that's, that that's that's the whole point, right? Is that you find your your unique way in the world, and so I think like all these things lead to the idea that, like, like you're sort of going to precede yourself into any situation, right? Like, like we we all know those people that when you see them on the call sheet, you're sort of like, oh, like I just maybe maybe it's the energy they bring to a rehearsal is is negative. Like I really struggle with people who come to rehearsal and are just bitter about it. Mm-hmm. Like the conductor changes the order and then they have to wait a piece. And I, that's so frustrating. Like we all, we all feel that, but like, we're all here, you know, you know, yeah. so. And especially can, now I feel like I'm never going to complain again about playing. I know. Notes, I'm, like, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be tacit for three and a half movements, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Give me that. Bass clarinet. Yeah. Put me on uh, stage, please. Yeah, please, please. But, but, you know, I think, um, so I, I think, yeah, like we, we, we sort of, um, we want to build our reputation I, th- I think it's counterintuitive, not by trying to build our reputation. I think we build our reputation by trying to become the best human being we can be. Like, I, I think you build your reputation as a musician by being a good father if you have kids or by being a good husband if you have a spouse or by being a good wife if you have a spouse or by being a good teacher if you have students or a good student if you have a teacher. Like, what I wish I'd realized as an undergrad sooner is that it wasn't my colleagues only who would be my colleagues. It was like, my teachers would become my colleagues. And so I wish I hadn't like screwed around so much in theory three, you know, sorry, Dr. Word. Um, (laughs) You know, like I wish I'd taken certain things more seriously because now I realize like, oh wow, those people that I thought were just, you know, like I thought we were on different planes of existence. Like now we gig together, you know, now they come in. And so it's sort of like, you're always, and you know, it's, it's like the idea that it's easy to, like, you know, the secret to telling the truth is like, just always tell the truth. Like the secret to, like, I don't have to remember what I said if I always tell the truth, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't have to worry about, I'm, I'm not trying to build like, like a mask in front of me. Like, oh, I'm a nice guy. Look at this mask. I would rather sort of like focus on transformation. Like, like there are parts of me right now, age 31 on November 2nd, 2020, that are like under renovation still, you know, mm-hmm. if, if y'all are anything like me, I mean, Quarantine has revealed some parts of me that are like still in progress. You know, the way I, I deal with this stress is is not always healthy. And I'm realizing like, man, I, I, I need to keep working on my heart. I need to keep working on my mindset. I need to keep working on my actions. I want to make sure that I'm, that, that I'm, I'm always becoming, I, I think we're always moving in a direction. We're sort of either moving toward the person we want to be or we're allowing ourselves to slide into the person we're going to be if we don't act. 
And I think that, like, for me, I'm, I want to think of my life aspirationally. Like, how, like, yeah, I mean, clarinet, of course, I play my long tones. Like, I'm transforming myself technically into a better clarinet player. But but I also want to be a better colleague. Like, I want to know how to support a principal player if I'm called to play second and how to lead a section if I'm called to play first. And I want to know how to speak to a personnel manager with dignity and respect. And I want to know how to turn down a gig with humility and, you know, like, how to win a, a competition and, with humility or lose with humility, like... Like, because those are things that leave the stage with us, you know, like when I close the case, I'm still either a humble person or I'm a jerk or I'm, I'm still either a giving person or I'm selfish. And now that I have kids and they like mirror back to me my traits with like amplification, I'll see many things and it's like, oh man, I think they learned that from me. Yeah. You're yeah. like, I don't like that about you, which means I don't like it about myself. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, you're like a little mirror, like shining light on my, yeah. my most visible qualities. So you mentioned, uh, when you close the case. And I think that this is a huge thing where, um, how do you separate yourself as a person from yourself as a musician? And this is something that I've always struggled with where it's like, my value is inherent in what I do. Right. So like I am valuable because I'm a musician and if I'm not a musician, I'm not valuable. And obviously, you know, this whole thing has been amplified recently with the, um, fact that I can't really be the musician I was before. Um, but I always found that like Sam Rothstein as a person is different than Sam Rothstein as a musician. I'm the same person, but like I am who I am as a person and being a musician sort of doesn't define me, which is hard. Like the worth, the worth that I see myself and that I feel that I give the world is different. Um, and so how do you, how do you do this yourself? Like how do you separate yourself as a musician and as a person? I think, I think this is really hard. Um, you know, artistic people, creative people, we have a different rhythm of life than other professionals, right? Um, it's not harder. It's not easier. It's just different. Um, my line of work, your line of work, probably many people listening to this, their line of work requires, um, daily maintenance, right? Like we don't get long periods of time we can take off without, seriously stepping backwards and having to rebuild. Um, we can't sort of log out of the computer at 5 PM on Friday and be done. You know, we're always having to, we're, we're always having to think about like maintaining our craft. Like, like, like professional athletes are similar in some ways because they always have to think about like, it always matters how their diet, how their workout regimen is, right? It always, it affects them even on their off days. And so I start with that to say that, um, that makes it very tempting to define myself by my music because I, I do have to, in some ways, keep it, keep it on the more regular rotation in my life than I would if maybe I had other careers. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I'm not saying that music is the only career that does this or athletics is the only career that does this. Many careers require this kind of commitment, but I can only speak to what I know. So how do we separate ourselves out? I, I've, I've sort of had a couple of brushes with this. Um, you know, during my, during my doctorate, um, I went back to school after being out for a while, uh, went back to Northwestern and had a great experience. And early in that degree, um, was in an accident that I thought was going to end my career. I thought I wasn't going to play again. I really did. Um, and that was very difficult for me to think about. Um, okay. Like if I, what am I going to do? You know, if I, if I can't ever play the instrument again, um, am I still going to be a person? And that experience to me was pretty jarring in a couple of ways. One, I think it, it shows you that like this thing really matters to me and I, I want to be able to play. Like it matters to me that I can play. Um, but the second side of that is like at, at some point it's going to catch up to all of us, right? Like we're going to have to put away the horn or um, someone's going to tell us like, bro, it's time to put away the horn, yeah. you know? Yeah. Hopefully it's, it's the former, but sometimes it ends yeah, up being I, I the latter. Yeah, I hope I will have the courage to, yeah, <laughs> yes. I promise that let's make a deal that we'll tell each other. Yeah, that, that sounds comes. good. I have that um, deal with several of my colleagues, so. Yeah, <laughs> add me to the list. I'm looking um, to following through with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for me, um, separating out my, myself from my art is very difficult because I, I love what I do and I'm passionate about it. I think about it all the time. I'll wake up in the morning with an idea for a piece I'm working on or just the right solution for a problem a student had that I couldn't crack in the lesson. Um but it's important to remember that, that music is what we do. It is not who we are. Music makes us who we are in some ways, but it is not who we are. The, and, and the pursuit of music 
the obsessive, like compulsive, almost like unhealthy pursuit that it requires to play music at a high level is, is wonderful, but can be destructive, right? Like the very thing we love can destroy us if we don't keep it in the right place in the same way that fire in the fireplace in my living room is, is wonderful and gives me heat and pleasure and fire on the rug in my living room destroys everything around (laughs) it. Like I have, I have to keep it in the right place or, or it's going to be destructive. So for me, one of the things that's really helped, um, is to, is to acknowledge that, uh, no matter how much I work, there will always be somebody I can still learn from. So I don't have to be like, like I don't have to be the best clarinetist ever. I have to be the best clarinetist I can be today. Mm-hmm. And so that, what that does is it frees me from like sort of the, like the infinite game of pursuit, right? Cause like being married is an infinite game. Like I can, I can always pursue that. There's always more to do there. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a worthy pursuit, but music is kind of the same. Like I can always put in more time, but at some point you have to decide, like, I, I, I can go further. I could, I could, but, but I'm choosing that, like, I'm just going to be the best I can be today. Like today is enough. I'm choosing to be content and I'm not choosing to be lazy. I'm not choosing that I'm not going to keep working, but I'm choosing that, like, I'm, I've done enough for today because I mean, the basic principle of growth is that stress plus rest equals growth. It's like lifting weights, right? Your muscles grow when you're not lifting the weight. Mm-hmm. That's how they grow. Right. So if I never rest, I can't get better. So for me, it's like I ha- if I want to be the best that I can be, then I have to take time away, which means I have to have something left. I can't just be this like formless void. We all know that person who like has a hard time not talking shop on the day off. Mm-hmm. And it's like, bro, I just want to watch the baseball game. Like, <laughs> like, can we, and my wife sometimes will look at me and my wife also studied clarinet, um, in the previous life. And sometimes she'll look at me and she'll say, I'll lean over and be like, yeah, don't you think that like in the Copeland, if I just phrase like to the C sharp, would that be different? And she's like, honey, can we just watch the baking show? Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> she's like, it's okay. yeah. so, so I've tried to have outside pursuit. So I think it's really important that musicians who are really intense people without fail have another hobby they can be intense about. So this has varied for me in my life. For a while, I brewed beer, which I loved doing, and I, I got better and better at brewing beer, and it gave me another outlet for my like intensity. Um, I'm a runner and a cyclist, and I love to run. And running is fun because I'm like pretty fast, but I'll never be able to be amazing. And so for me, it's running is just like this like it's I can get better, but I don't have to be the best in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it's important to do something where you can get a lot better. But you're not like I'm, I'm not competing in the Olympics, you know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to break a 20 minute 5K. I'm not trying to like set a world record. And so I, I have another place to channel that intensity. And I think the same the same is true of like relationships, whether you're married or just have friends or family members around you, like like ch- channeling and cultivating, channeling your energy into those people and cultivating those relationships helps you ground yourself like outside of your art. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think, you know, I, um, I, I'm a person who, like, I take great pleasure in being a musician. I love going to concerts. I love teaching students. I love learning from other people. I love taking lessons. I love teaching lessons. And so for me, it's really easy to just do only that. But I, I also have decided that I recently decided again a few years ago that I was going to read books. Like, I'm going to read novels. And I'm not a super fast reader. It takes a long time. But it's like another place. It, again, it like satisfies similar urges but doesn't, um, doesn't require me to like open the case, put a read on, you know, pull out the middle joint a little bit, whatever. Um, and so I I think a big thing is to have something else to like put that intensity into. Otherwise we're kind of like Cyclops without the visor on Mm -hmm. and we just like shoot our intensity at everyone. (laughs) And that's why so many musicians end up like being like grumpy people (laughs) or they have like addictive personality. No, like it's easy for us to get, you know, obsessive about things. But I think if we can channel it into, you know, I mean, throughout the quarantine, I've taken on these different hobbies, right? So like I took up gardening. I'm really bad at gardening. But today, today, I ate a sandwich with a tomato I grew in my garden. Nice. You know? That's perfect. Yeah. It's very, you know, um, I, I decided that I was going to learn how to landscape, you know, and, I, and a million other things. And so it's just during the quarantine when I've been like faced with this void where there's really no music to outlet, you know? Mm-hmm. I've like taken on more ridiculous hobbies. Like I learned how to decorate my living room. I like read about how to position furniture, which is a, you know... Like this is a thing, by the way. People, it's a bottomless pit, man. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, but I, but I think it comes down to like I, I I am Andy the musician. Like I'm I'm Andy who is also a musician. You know, mm-hmm. 
like Andy plays clarinet and it's a wonderful job, but Andy is, that's not my deepest identity, right? Like that's not the guiding force in my life. Like the guiding force in my life is that I have a family, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm a man of faith. I'm a man of family. I'm a man with friends, right? I'm a man in community. I'm, I'm a citizen of Greensboro and a citizen of the United States. That's why I'm voting. And anyone listening tonight, please vote tomorrow. If you haven't Um, already. Yes, definitely. Yes. I I early voted. It was awesome. Um, Props to the USPS. Mm-hmm. But, but I, th- I think that when, when our deepest identity is something else, like at the core, um, then it's like if the musician somehow got ripped away, like there's something, you know, and, like, and mm-hmm. when I thought being a musician was ripped away, it was painful and it was jarring and it was scary and it was a long road of recovery and healing. But, but, but like there was still something there. there. There's like a deeper identity as a man, you know, as a, as a person, as a husband, as a yeah. father. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm gonna point back at a couple of things that you said there. Uh, I loved your your advice of of there's days where you just have to be like close the case. Like I did enough today. I was enough today. Or even if you didn't open the case at all, it's like that's okay, you know. And and I had a friend of mine on Peter Brasovin. He's the co-owner of Naptown Fitness around here, and and he said his wife always encourages him. It's just like I did enough today, you know. Maybe I had an extra ice cream bar. That's okay. Like I can start again tomorrow, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think that's a really important philosophy is just like, you can't solve all of your issues on clarinet or in life in one day. You just can't do it. Nobody can do it. Um, and then another thing I wanted to point out to you uh, that I'm, I am incredibly thankful for is uh, for those who don't know, I, I actually left school a little early to take a job. Um, I was touring with a Broadway show. And when I came back with, well, that was this, the senior year I, I referenced earlier. Um, the vibe of the clarinet studio at Northwestern was completely different. Um, I don't know if it was just the people that were there or what it was, but um, I spent more time away from the clarinet with those people than I did with the clarinet. And this is nothing to do with their abilities as clarinet players, but I liked all of them better as people than I liked them as clarinetists. Because <laughs> I used, which is weird, because what I used to do is I used to assign value to people based on how they played their instruments, right? And I think we all did at some point. We're just like, oh, that person's not good, so I shouldn't treat them with respect, which, of course, is a ridiculous statement. But it's this intuitive thing that we are all are built up on, which we talked about earlier about this competition. And we're all, you know, trying to beat the other person or whatever. And so you assign these values to people based on, like, their abilities on the clarinet. And that year really changed me because um, I just loved all these people as people. We would hang out together. We would have parties together. I mean, it was awesome, you know, and... And I'm gonna I'm gonna forget people, but you know Ben Adler, Andy Jacoby, mm-hmm. Kathy, Christina Teuschler, uh, you, Steve Christina, Gooden. Christina's coming on Friday. To oh, our awesome! Class. Yeah, Christina's great. She's uh, great. Celeste, yeah. like just all these people that were um, just awesome. Andrew Sabeni, just like awesome people, really fun to be around, and they liked me because they liked Sam. They didn't like me because I was a good clarinet player or a clarinet player. And I, I think I think as a musician, it's so freeing to be told that I love you for who you are, not for what I can get from you or what you can do. Yeah. Like, like when these relationships become non-transactional, mm-hmm. it, it becomes so, it's so free. And then it, it also becomes then more fun to play music with those people, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, it's more fun to play music with your friends. And yeah, I, I remember that wonderful year. I mean, I, that was such a special time in the studio and I just, yeah, I, th- I think all the time I have this great memory of um, Andrew Sabane drawing Zapdos on his comment sheet in rep class <laughs> when, and our professor collecting those um, and asking, what's a Zapdos? Um, you yeah, know, but, but I just remember so vividly like this, this energy. And what it was, was that like, it felt like a family that we, that, that, that we were connected by something deeper than our art, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, that's what I love about, because that, that's, you know, I mean, I, I think I went into Northwestern thinking, okay, I'm in the studio and everybody's like me. They all want to play professionally and teach. And what I realized is, okay, well, this person's actually going to be a doctor and is literally working on a cure for cancer. Okay. And this person actually is going to be this incredible high powered finance executive. And this, because they were all doing these double majors, these undergraduates were so brilliant and doing all these incredible things. And I start to realize like, like that actually gives them them more value. Like, like they're actually like these these whole people. Like they're more than just like they're playing in tune in orchestra. Right. And I just I just found I I, I take I, I just want to take joy in my colleagues. Like I want to. One thing I love about teaching at UNC Greensboro is is the faculty environment is so healthy and supportive. And 
like when I see my colleagues in the hallway, honestly, I miss that more than most anything. I just miss being around them because you'll see them in the hallway and we stop and speak to each other because we, we love being together. Mm-hmm. And then when we play music together. It's like, well, of course I want to play with you. You ask someone to play on a recital and they say, like, how could I say no? Right. You know, it just it seems like I know there are schools where it's difficult to get your colleagues to play with you. And I I would not I wouldn't be able to function in that kind of environment. Like I, I love to collaborate, but I I love to collaborate out of that relationship. You know, like that. Like, like for, for me, it's like music can be the overflow of another relationship. And I even even if I play with someone I've never met before, the immediate goal is like, let's get to know each other. You know, let's let's um. But let's let's explore what we can give each other, like as people, not just as artists. And and then I think the art becomes really special. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and before I forget, I, I was forgetting some people so I, that I remembered. So Clara Nalvin and Becky Graham and Jimmy and there's just a bunch of people I just I loved. So, anyways, I just I didn't oh. want to sound like a jerk. Well, Brady Richards, forgot about Brady. Oh, love oh, that guy. Brady. Brady's great. So uh, I just didn't want to forget anybody. I'm sure I did, and I apologize if I forgot you. It's not because I don't love you. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting old, so uh, I forget these things. Uh, but that was just a special group, and I think that 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 year really turned my my perception around, which is just like I just they're just cool people, and and they're and clarinet is just one thing that they do, and. You know, there shouldn't be any value assigned to them as a person based on how they play the clarinet, you know, because everyone's trying to do their best, the, yeah. you know. And that's the thing is like, like who, who am I to measure them against my measuring stick? Right. <laughs> like, like they, they don't need me to validate them as, as clarinetists or as people or anything. Like they need me to love and support them, you know, like right. the way we change the world is not by holding people to our standard. You know, the way we change the world is by helping people flourish into their best self i i think exactly um so along these same lines too you're obviously a college professor now so how do you try to limit the whole competition thing amongst your students and encourage them to encourage others because i think competition man it's you know i think the way that music education is nowadays it's all about Who's first chair? Who made it to the honor band? Who won the competition? You know, and all that stuff is fine, but it's it should just be like you said. You shouldn't be putting people up against a measuring stick, whether it's your own or some arbitrary standard. And I think that like when you get to school, or it's like who got into the music festival or whatever. Um, but when you get to school, it's just kind of a different environment because everyone's just trying to do their best. Uh, but there's still some some of that hangover from that. that sort of competition sort of mindset. So what do you do as a professor to try to encourage others? And I witnessed it firsthand when I taught uh, your students is it was, it was, it was very much like that vibe I was just talking. So you, you, you clearly guide them in a certain way. So what, what, how do you, what's your secret in terms of that? I think, I mean, I, th- I think first off, all the credit goes to the students. We, we just have a, yeah, I feel, I feel like our students demand from each other and from us that it's a wonderful and healthy place to study. And so I, I really, I really credit them. Um, there, there are some ways I try to come alongside that. Um, you know, I think first is that my, there's, there's my colleague, Anthony Taylor, and I try to model that in our teaching approach where we really believe that everyone is better off if we share the load and we, all the students study with both of us. We don't have individual studios. We don't believe in that. It's one giant studio and that makes all kinds of problems, but all the problems that come up from that are worth it to have it be the way it is. Like, mm-hmm. I love that my students are my students and his students and that it's never like, oh, well, I'm actually Dr. Taylor or Dr. Hudson's student. It's like, no, no, no. Like, we are all UNCG clarinet players together. So I think, I think it starts with this mindset of like, we are a family, all of us. And our students are, um, like I said, they're competitive for sure. I mean, they, they feel the heat. They want to do well. We, we play in tough auditions and we, we hold them. We do blind auditions every semester and we put up the screen and we don't account for grade. And so sometimes that means grad students are making lower ensembles. We, we've had freshmen in the top orchestra. Like it, it's gone all these different directions. And the only way to handle that kind of environment is if they trust each other and they trust the process. They trust you. Um we talk a lot in our lessons about the idea that that the process is the outcome, that, that we, we don't focus on the result. We focus on getting to the result because that's how you teach students to succeed for the long haul. 
if you teach students to only motivate, like basically it's like, it's like there, there's internal motivation and there's external motivation and external motivation is very powerful, right? Like I have an audition tomorrow. That's a powerful motivator to yeah, do good right. things. Um, and it's too late at that point, you know, but <laughs> I have an audition in six weeks is better. Um, that, that's a powerful tool. That, that's like carrot, you know, like in front of me, I'm chasing it. And that's, that's powerful. But, but that is not enough to sustain you for the long haul. Like that will stop working. And the carrot is most effective when it's like the finishing kick for internal motivation. Um, one book I just want to recommend to your, to your listeners is this book by Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus called Peak Performance. Mm-hmm. And they talk a lot about this um, and a lot about all kinds of great um, stuff related to just general performance, whether in life or in athletics or in, in art or whatever. Um, but but what, I, what I think is the secret is to teach the student that, that the pleasure is not in winning. The pleasure is in making music and in progressing. It's like if I want to eat great food – the best thing I can do is learn to love cooking, right? Like mm-hmm. if I can learn to love, if, if I really want to be jacked, which I'm not, I should learn how to love lifting weights. Right. It's not enough to love being jacked, right? If I want to be a professional clarinet player, I should learn to love practicing because learning to love the grind is most of life. Like most of our career is not sitting on stage playing with great orchestras. It's practicing the music, it's playing long tones, it's playing scales, it's revisiting patterns that I've learned my whole life, right? And then, yeah, we have these exultant moments of performance, but, but like, those are not, those are not enough to motivate a career. We all know that kid in high school who makes first chair Allstate, and then he doesn't play the rest of the year, and, you know, he, he learns an etude and a set of scales every year, and, like, like that's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. That person is not going to play music for a lifetime, but what a shame because playing music for a lifetime is a real gift, whether professionally or not. Like the players I know who don't play professionally, but who play very well and continue to play like at church or in a community band or volunteer or play in a community orchestra. They have a chamber group, whatever. They play in nursing homes. Those those players learned to love the instrument, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so I think teaching our students that, you know, I mean, like, yeah, of course results matter. Like, I don't want to downplay the importance of being in this ensemble or that ensemble. Like, those things are important, and, I, and they are, and it, it sucks to lose. Like, I tell my students all the time that I lose all the time, and they always laugh, like, ha-ha, no, you don't. I'm like, you should see my list of grant proposals. Yeah. Like, I'm just, like, striking out left and right, but I just know that that's how it goes. I'm at the point where I realize that, you know, you don't win most things you try for. You know, and, and if you're good, you get close. You make finals or you get feedback or maybe you have phone interviews for all the jobs you apply for, but you don't get them all. Like, you know, at a certain level, yeah, you figure out the formula, but but like mostly I lose. Mm-hmm. And I've had students who've applied to be at conferences a few times and not gotten it. And just today, actually, I heard from a student who's applied to a few conferences and not quite gotten in, but then today was invited to do something at a big conference. And it was this great moment of like, you did it. You pushed through, you refined your, your proposals and look, you did it. Like you pushed through and you got what you wanted, but you didn't get what you wanted by not like, you know, you had to learn how to love grant writing. Like basically you have to learn to love proposing. So I think a big part of it is teaching students to love the process. And then the last thing I think is putting them in non-confrontational situations together. So in non-COVID years, we always have a fall kickoff party that happens between the auditions and the audition results being announced. So everyone auditions, a bunch of new people, they don't know each other. It's big, scary, blind audition. And then we have a taco party where we just eat tacos and hang out and we play ridiculous games and we hang out at somebody's house, professor's house and get the whole studio together. And then when the results come out a couple of days later, it's not like, oh, look at this soulless freshman who beat me. It's like, Oh yeah, I met that person. They're from Concord, aren't they? Oh yeah, they went to high school with my sister. Like, oh yeah, I, I heard about you know, yeah, we I know their teacher. And all of a sudden, like people don't. It's it's like it's like why people are so angry on the internet because everyone else is like faceless and they're yeah. just like these empty monsters that you've created in your mind. But it's pretty hard to be mad at like Stephen Gooden when he beats you in an audition if you know him yes. at Northwestern. You're like, you're like the best human being I've ever you're met. Like you are like, it. <laughs> yeah, it's like I was like, how could I? You know, like I'm just happy that you did well. Yeah. And and then what, what's the interesting, the really interesting thing is that the students have realized now that if somebody beats them in an audition, they immediately will go to that person and say, would you listen to me play my excerpts? You know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's how the studio gets better as a whole, is people start to realize, okay, well, this person won the audition. They've never won an audition before. They came in number one. 
what, what's on the list? Okay, this person must be really good at these excerpts. I'm going to go play my excerpts for this person. And all of a sudden, you get this great atmosphere. And then it kind of becomes fun because you, you sort of de-emphasize results. They're still important, but you're saying they're not most important. And if the process is most important, then the person who got the result I want is actually a teacher. And I should go learn from them. I do this all the time with teaching. I look at the professors who are teaching at a high level. I look at my professors. I look at other people's professors. I look at my colleagues who teach at other schools. We had The good thing about quarantine, one good thing, there have been some hard things, but this is a good thing, is we've had all these Zoom guest artists who come into our class and teach. And I get to just sit there and watch them teach my students and watch my students get better. And I, get, I take notes like, mm-hmm. wow, this person is really good at teaching embouchure. Or like, wow, this person is really good at teaching articulation. And like, I'm actually the one getting better most. Like the students are getting better for sure. But like, I'm the one getting better. Because I'm looking at it as like, this person is better at teaching breast support than me. I'm going to learn that. And then that in turn, like, I'm not competing with that person for undergrads. It's like, if you go to that school, like, yeah, go. Like, you're going to have great breath support if you go there. So I think I think it's building the family vibe is like the final piece. And I think if you can build that that relational community and you can teach them that process is more important than outcomes. I actually had on my whiteboard on my door, process over outcomes. And if you teach them that like people who are better than them are actually teachers or people who win are, are teachers, people who beat them in that audition, who are better on that Thursday at 4 p.m. Not that they're better. They're better on that audition day, you know. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden you've got this community where like, oh, this person won, so I'm going to get better and we'll try again. And if they win every time, well, that's fine. Maybe they have a future ahead of them in auditioning. Maybe you have a future ahead of it. You know, maybe, maybe you're going to pursue something else long term. Or maybe you're both going to succeed. That's yeah. great too. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I like the I like the process over outcome uh, analogy. And I think that... You know, I'm, I, some people are really into the, the sports analogies and baseball and stuff, but I think baseball is really a, a good analogy here where it's like mm. literally the best hitter in the world currently for a season bats like, what, 330 maybe? They, they hit 33% of the time they hit the ball. Yeah, yep. so that means two out of every three times they don't even hit the ball. They strike love, out or they, they fly uh, out or whatever. Baseball, it's and, so good for seeing life. Yeah. and Because, like, it, you lose a game in baseball, like – whatever yeah <laughs> like in tomorrow you win a game you're like whatever <laughs> you know and then that same hitter hits maybe you know 30 home runs so you know that percentage is even lower and that's like yeah. a home run and so so you, you know and the same thing with the nba you know the best three-point shooter shoots like what 40 percent probably so that means three out of every five shots but you know what they really enjoy is they enjoy taking that 40 percent three-point percentage and bumping it up to like 42 and they, the process of getting that is enjoyable to them. Well, I mean, that's, that's what's so fun. I, I think about it, you know, I, I play video games sometimes when I have free time. Um, and I, I always think about it like leveling up in some RPG game. And like every subsequent level is harder to get, but more satisfying when you get there. Right. Yep. And then like this is what you and I were talking about earlier. But like the best, the top of their game people, the best teachers, the best players are the ones who realize that like going from 99 to 99 and a half percent is going to take them 10 years. Mm-hmm. And that that's like fun. Like it's actually fun to see how good you can be. You know, like that's really rewarding. And, and like the higher, like the better players you encounter, the more they're aware of that process and the more they're, they're patient. I think about something Mallory Thompson, conductor from Northwestern, we both worked with, um, she was talking about, um, a conducting workshop she went to when she was very young, and they played a recording of, I think she said Bruno Walter was the conductor. I can't remember. Um, and th- there was this recording at the end of his life, and somebody said to him, like, what have you learned now that you're very old, basically? Mm-hmm. And he said, now I have infinite patience. And she said on this video, and then we were talking about it, she and I, and she said, you know, like, that's when I realized, like, just buckle up. Here it is. Like, it's going to take how long it takes. Yep. Right. Like this is going to take as long as it goes. And then like, and that's okay. Like, like every, I, I used to want my career to be my friend's careers who succeeded sooner than I did, of course, you know? And what I realize now is that like the space I'm in, I, I, I'm perfectly positioned and prepared to be like Andy Hudson at UNC Greensboro on November 2nd. Nobody else can be that, mm-hmm. you know? They can be they they can be Sam Ross Sam Rothstein on Rothstein on 
in Indianapolis on November 2nd. Mm -hmm. And he's perfectly prepared for that, right? Because we've all made a million decisions that have led us to the place we are. And it would be a shame, like, like you and I would have failed only if we ended up in another place, you know, but like, but like we're exactly where we should be. And it took me a long time to get here. And I like, you know, there's some bumps in the road. I know you've had bumps in your road too. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And we're all in the middle of a collective bump yeah, right a big now. Bump. Yeah, but but, yeah, you know, we're, but but like man, what a like like what a gift to realize like it's it, it's a like it's a long it's 162 games, man. Yeah. And that's it's just one season because then when you're done yeah. with that one you just got to bu- buckle up and get ready for the next one. Yeah. And uh you know, it was interesting cuz my uh my cousin, she's uh, I think 14 or 15 now. Um she's she's an incredible ballerina and she's she wants to do that. And so her parents, you know, my and uncle were asking me about it and they were like, how do you get, you know, to where, and I was, and the way I sort of put it is like, to get from 0% to 50% takes a year. To get from 50% to 75% takes two years. And you keep going up and dividing in half. It's, it's, as we were talking about Sisyphusian, where it's just like, you're just, <laughs> you're just always trying to push the rock up the hill. And the, the higher you get up, the more strained you are and the longer it takes to get the rock even farther and uh, you have to enjoy that process, otherwise you won't succeed in it. Um, and it. There's definitely, I mean, it's a little sadistic for sure. Like, yeah, but but what I love about it is that, um, you know, I mean, I, I love hearing you say that, Sam, and I love the image of you working very hard towards that. But what I also love is watching you play, and it's just ballet. It's just it's just so beautiful and so smooth. And I, I think at the highest level, everything kind of becomes like that, becomes dancing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like you had Steve Williamson last week on, and when I watch him play, you know, just like, man, the music is just, just, it's just there, you know, it's, it's just soaring. It's just like, it's just floating. And, and I think that sometimes we see people like you or like him or like insert your favorite player. And you think, man, it sounds so easy when they do it. But what you don't realize is that he's in the green room playing his scales with a metronome, you know, or he's playing the excerpt at half tempo before he walks on stage. Like, Yeah, and that's why I love that clip of him last week where he was just like, I know that no matter what I do, I can do it better tomorrow. And there's a clip of him. It's on my Instagram. It's on Facebook. And he says this, and he's like, my goal is like, I just need to be better for my colleagues tomorrow than I was today. And, and that's and that's, that's from it. the from one of the best, if not the best, player in the world, you know. Absolutely. And and so that's what we're all trying to do, because you know, you said, uh, you know, the way I play is beautiful and soaring and musical. It's like, but the way I see it is, okay, how can I do that better next time, you know? And and that's and that and that it, it, if you can learn to love the process, you can have a career in music. Yep. If you can learn to trust that, like, if you can trust that the work you're putting in will pay dividends, but you won't see them right away. You know, then then I think you can do it. It's it's one of those IRAs that like you can't withdraw from for thirty years. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> and if you do sooner, there's a penalty. I think. Yeah. I think that if if you want to be done sooner, like you're gonna pay a penalty. But I think that if you can trust that all these pennies in the piggy bank, like one day you're gonna take that to Coinstar at the Kroger in Alpharetta, Georgia, where I was, you know, and it's like, oh my God, I have $8 as a kid. I remember so vividly, like taking my piggy bank and like, wow, all that investment a little bit every day goes a long way. And and that's what I'm saying too, when we talked about like being willing to turn it off for the day is like, if you know you put in the work, either you worked hard or you intentionally rested, Mm -hmm. then like go to sleep, man, sleep good. You know, like, like, yeah, just, yeah. Like don't someone else's. You remember that? Did everyone, anyone tell you this in high school band? Like, when you're sleeping, someone else is right. practicing. Yeah, of course, yeah. Like, then someone else is not going to have a very good day tomorrow because <laughs> right. it's one in the morning. <laughs> you know, someone else is not going to enjoy their family tomorrow or not going to enjoy class tomorrow. And so, I totally reject the idea that we have to hustle. Like, what a boring way to live. You know, like yeah. it, it's important to yes. I mean, like I sort of believe like on hard like. And then off hard, like I'm on, I'm invested, I'm working very hard. I've got my like tuner and I've got my score and I've got my metronome, I've got my recording. But when it's off hard, it's like my clarinet's like, like it's in my office at school and I'm at home mm-hmm. and I'm just, I'm just like dad, you know, like that's one of the things I was talking, we were talking earlier, but in, in, in North Carolina right now, the public schools are not open. So my, my two kids who are kindergarten and second grade, who I love more than anything in the world and who I would do anything for who we have a great relationship, they're, they're home, going to school online. 
I'm teaching my lessons online. We're all in the same house, sharing bandwidth. And by sharing, I mean destroying my bandwidth. Um, <laughs> and and one of the things that I've, I've really struggled with during the quarantine has been that I'm sort of like the law and order enforcer of second grade curriculum. Yeah. And I, I just... I just can't wait to just be dad again, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. like my wife and I've talked a lot about this. Like parenting is, is the hardest thing I've ever done. And I, I love it. Like I love being a dad and I don't love also trying to like lay down the law. So they'll like pass their spelling test, you right. know, <laughs> like I, I want to be the person who like, they just come home, they come home to me from school and they're like, I didn't do well. And I'm like, Phew. Forget it, man. Let's go get ice cream. You know, like I want to be that. Like, and I I definitely, I've definitely. um, Well, it's talking. It's like what we were talking about, where it's like you want to separate the person from the musician. It's the same thing here. It's like you want to be the dad, not the teacher, not the dad and the teacher, and the you know, it's it's hard to separate those things. Yeah, and I I think you know it's and we we, you know we have a culture in our house that we try to be really transparent, and I've had a lot of times to sit my kids down and say like, you know, dad screwed up, like. Yeah. Dad got angry about about there the T H E I R, but you said T H E R E, and like, you know, like I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Um, and I and I think I think acknowledging that weakness is so important. I mean, I I think for our students too. Like, I mean, I've I've tried to be open with them. I mean, I'm, I don't want them. I'm not there to like, like they don't need to. I don't need them to like carry me emotionally through this. But I think that just acknowledging to them like this is a really hard situation and you're not alone. Like I'm, I'm also in my own hard situation. I'm not, I don't know what they're going through. I can't imagine, but I know what I'm going through and that it's very tough. And so I would imagine that there's, just also really tough, you know? And I, th- I think that sort of, ho- hopefully that builds solidarity that, that we're all sort of in it together. You yeah. Know? And I think, you know, not just for your family, but I think that's important to note, to recognize with, uh, when you run into other people, you know, maybe the lady who, got mad at me in the car or the guy who flipped me off or whatever driving by in the car maybe he's just having a rough day like maybe his dad just died or something you have no idea and i think it's good for everyone to be at this time and and just always just be forgiving of people and i think that you know a lot of times people just have things going on that you just have no idea what what they're going through and so it's good to sort of you know it's it's you have your own challenges but everyone else has their own challenges and nobody really knows anybody's situation you know I've been going through this really difficult um, thought experiment. Um, and so we have an election tomorrow in this country. Um, I, like many people probably listening, and like you have very, very strong opinions on how this should go for mm-hmm. optimal humankind success <laughs> and American success. And so I I, um, I was catching myself like really just sort of painting with a really broad brush people who disagree with me. Um and I, I created a thought experiment, which was, uh, I read about this in some article, and and um, I decided I was going to try it. So in my mind, I created this experiment, which was, can I imagine, can I imagine a person who I love and admire who would vote opposite from me? Like, can I build them in my mind? Am I able to create someone who I completely disagree, but that I don't hate them as a person for voting differently? And if, and if I can't, then there's probably a deeper issue, right. you know, like if, if the world is really people who are just like me and hate all the same people I hate are awesome and everyone else sucks, then I'm probably like, it's just, it's just not reality. It's just not true. It's, it's just not yeah. like everything is like gray. And, and I, yeah, it, it's been, it's been difficult and, and definitely like convicting. Like I don't, I, I think, I think, you know, I love Twitter. Twitter is so fun for me. And some people like really hate Twitter and I know it can be really toxic, but like I'm in this like somehow community on Twitter of like new music people. And it's just like, they all just like hug each other. It's, I love it. I love new music Twitter. Um, and I've, I've like, I've like met people that I've ended up collaborating with like in real life or like on pieces of music. I've met friends. I've commissioned people from Twitter. Um, and, and for me it's like, but Twitter, it, it's, it's really hard to have nuance, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really, I'm really trying to challenge myself not to lose the nuanced part of myself. Like, I don't want to slip into like me and everyone else thinking, I don't want to, like, I I know, like, I I think, I, I think a lot about myself in this and like, I am so ashamed of so many things in my life that I've done, that I've thought, that I've said, the people I've been, 
that like I, I would say like I probably I probably am the worst person I know in that way. And like what I really want from someone else is to be told, I see you just as you are, and like I love you anyway. Like you, like like one of the most beautiful things you could tell someone is like you are such a mess and I, I just, I just love you anyway, you know? Yeah. And I, I just I think really I've want actually to be been to told exactly that. So <laughs> you did good. Yeah. Perfect. Um, I already did it. You know? And, and I, I just, I want to be able to give that, like if, if I deserve that and want that, then I have to be able to give that away too. Right. I have to find a way to, I have to find a way to, to have room for someone else who might, be really wrong. Like I've been so wrong on so many things. I've had to, I've had to evolve my, my thinking and I've come around on so many things and I like deeply regret certain things I've, I've done, but, but I know that I'm like under renovation, you know, I'm like, mm. I'm, I'm like a work in progress. Like, like in my, like we bought this house in Greensboro and we love it and we're like working on it. You know, we, we got it painted inside. We're going to get the windows replaced. Like we redid the bathroom and like slowly, the house is becoming not the perfect house, but like the best house it could be for us right now. Mm-hmm. And like, I take more pleasure in it every time we do something to it. Like we have a fireplace in the living room and we recently rearranged it. And I like mounted my record covers on the wall, which is something I learned from Stephen Gooden. And I mounted them on the wall so I can like look at them. And I'm like, man, this room is like the, this is it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, now like, just don't think about the other bathroom, you know, right. like, <laughs> yeah. but like, but I'll get there. You know, it's like, it's like, I'll, I'll get there and I'll also try to make that more beautiful yeah. and, and maybe then something else. Like, and eventually, eventually it'll, it'll be the best it can be. And it won't be perfect and it won't be what other houses are, but it'll be mine. It'll be the best I can make it. And I feel like if, if I can get it there, like that's enough. Like I can decide that it's done and I can decide that I'm happy. And I think choosing to be content is so hard, but I think that's one of the secrets to happiness is like, cause like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's always like, there's always a better, there's always a better car, a better house, a bigger house, you know, like, uh, you know, my, my wife could have a, a better husband or we'd have, we could have a better family or better in-laws or better my parents, you know, like it's, it's all, there could always be more. Right. Mm-hmm. But I also like, I can flip that thinking and say like, I have wonderful in-laws. I have wonderful parents. I have wonderful siblings. I have wonderful friends. I have a great office. I have a great job. My first office at UNCG had no windows and I called it the cave of wonders. Mm -hmm. And for me, and I had like, I had to buy like five lamps and it was still like, did any uh, genies come out of any of them? Uh, no, my students (laughs) found out we're calling it the pain cave, but it's fine. Um, but, but like, you know, but like, it's amazing. You put a rug in and you put some lamps in and all of a sudden it's, it's great. And, and it's, it's like, you can take it and make it beautiful. And now, now I have this great office and I have like a window. I don't know if you can see it, but I, you know, it's, I love it. Yeah. I got a bike rack on the wall, which I don't know if I was supposed to install or not, but I did. Um, and you know, like, yeah, this is great, but like there are bigger offices, mm-hmm. but like, I, yeah, the other one was enough too. Like, yeah. And I think the secret is to like, take where you are and just really, make the most of it. You know, it's like, if you, if you can make the most of it, then I think you can. Yeah. I think, I think that's how we find happiness, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's just, uh, I love your, your thoughts and and I could tell that you've, you know, spent a lot of time thinking about a lot of this stuff and and it's all really terrific. Um, so before I let you go, do you have any last words, shout outs, pieces of advice or words of wisdom? It's been a kind of an episode of wisdom, but, uh, you know, (laughs) if you have any final thoughts, uh, just, just let me know. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I love, I know I always love talking to you. I know we always have a good time and I hope something I said somewhere in this is coherent at least, or maybe helpful even, but, um, you know, but I, um, I think like if I could say anything, people who are listening, I would say, um, if you're a musician and you're like, you're struggling right now to find inspiration, like that's okay. And like, it's okay to take a day off, a week off, maybe more, it's okay if you're finding more pleasure in cooking sourdough bread right now or in gardening. It's okay if you're channeling your energy into something else. Like, like th- those are not wasted pursuits. Um, you, you may find that that time spent doing other things, when you inevitably come back to your instrument, to your craft, to your, your art, um, that these other pursuits make you better at it, that they make you a more compelling 
performer or teacher or listener or audience member or whatever because I, I think that I think that we don't want to hold ourselves like I, I don't want to hold myself back from pursuits that my heart wants to go after like mm-hmm. if I if I feel like sitting down to write poetry that's probably a good thing to do and if I feel like sitting down to watch a great movie that's probably a good thing to do and all of those things change the way that I make music eventually and they'll they'll wind their way in just like everything you've done until now winds its way in and that's why like every player I hear is a a miracle it's like wow like I could never play that the way you did because I'm not you and all I get to do is just sit there and like soak it in and that's that's so rewarding so I I would say to anyone listening who's like really having a hard time like like one it's okay to just be in the pit that's totally fine and it's also okay if you're finding that you're motivated to do lots of other stuff. Like you shouldn't feel guilty because, you know, it, this, this feels like forever and it is a long time. And this is a really difficult season of life for us. But, but that like, I do believe that there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. And I do believe that our industry will evolve. I, I don't know that it's ever going to be what it was before in the same way, but I think that it can be new and, and new could be great, right? It could be more interesting. It could be more equitable. It could be more diverse. It could be more creative. It could be more beautiful. And and so, yeah, I would just tell anyone who needs to hear it, like, like you're, you're doing great and it's going to be okay. And, and just give yourself the space right now to, to be the person you need to be. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining me tonight. It was a terrific conversation, and, uh, man, it makes me very nostalgic for eight years ago when we were yucking it up at some CSO concerts. That's, uh, that's a, that was a good time. So uh, I yeah. miss, miss you a lot, man, and I, I hope to see you soon. But uh, th- in the meantime, it was nice to, see, to meet with you virtually, and thank you for contributing such a wonderful episode to the podcast and uh for our new listeners out there please help us get to 500 followers on instagram by december 31st uh you can follow us on instagram at the candid clarinetist for links to all of our social media and contact platforms as well as information about myself and the podcast visit candidclarinetistpodcast.com once again i am sam rothstein and thanks for tuning in to the candid clarinetist podcast